you know, sometimes women get this, um, there's this misperception that we, women don't work well together or compete or, um, and I think it's just generally not true. I think women want to empower each other. Hey everyone, it's Natalie with the Gadotti Podcast. Welcome back to our six-part series, Empowering Women Spotlight. From business leaders and government officials to authors and state Supreme Court justices, we are highlighting issues and topics with a focus on empowering women, no matter where they are in life. Throughout this series, you'll meet women here in my home state of Arkansas and beyond who are leading women in uplifting their voices in business, politics, and life. Today, I'm talking with Arkansas Supreme Court Associate Justice Rhonda Wood. A graduate of Hendricks College and the William H. Bowen School of Law in Little Rock, Justice Rhonda Wood was appointed to position seven on the Arkansas Supreme Court in 2014. She was a circuit judge for the 20th Judicial District and a judge for the Arkansas Court of Appeals prior to being appointed to the Arkansas Supreme Court. She is the honoree of many awards, including five-time recipient of the Arkansas Bar Association Outstanding Service Award, Arkansas Elected Official of the Year by the Arkansas Federation of Business and Professional Women, and Community Leader of the Year by the Conway Rotary Club. In 2020, she started her very cool side hustle as co-host of the Lady Justice Women of the Court podcast, along with Chief Justice Bridget McCormick of the state of Michigan, Justice Eva Guzman of the state of Texas, and Justice Beth Walker of the state of West Virginia. For today's discussion, we're going to focus on how the Lady Justice Women of the Court podcast came to be, what Justice Wood and her co-host are hoping listeners gain from their discussions, and future plans for the podcast following a successful first season. Well, thank you so much, Justice Wood, for being on the podcast. Thank you for asking me. I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah, it's it's fun to talk to another podcaster. So I know, exactly. <laughs> we're going to get into it. Let, let's, let's start right there. You know, tell us about the Lady Justice podcast and how this project came to life. So uh, we started um, purely, I mean, it was not a deliberate contemplation. Um, it was purely um, one of those things that we just sent a text. I sent a text out to him at like 11 o'clock at night. Um, we started during COVID. Um, we we did a Zoom interview and you'll understand this with um, at then my um nine-year-old granddaughter. Um, She interviewed us um, for school and um, during COVID. And we had such a great time talking about state courts and everything. And so we decided we wanted to keep doing more civic projects. And um, we do a lot of our social media. And so we're trying to figure out what, how to do it. And so I sent him a text actually at like 11 o'clock at night. And I said, Hey, what do you guys think about doing a podcast? And, um, um, Karen Stewart from our court does a podcast and they sent a text back right away and said, yes, um, absolutely. And then I was like, oh no, what did we, <laughs> <You know? laughs> I was just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I was like, well, I thought we'd have some discussion about it, you oh, know, great. Um, but they immediately said yes. And then it was like, oh, great. Now we have this responsibility, um, but uh, it's been wonderful. That's Absolutely awesome. wonderful. Well, I mean, were were you um a bit did you listen to podcasts? Um are you do you listen to a lot of podcasts? Was that something like, oh, you, you know, I I could easily do a podcast? Honestly, I'd never really thought about hosting one, but I listened to them because I live in Conway, but the court is in Little Rock, so I commute. Sure. And so I listened to them back and forth. And so um, but honestly, it was probably that our person at the court, Karen Stewart, she started a courts and community podcast. And so, um, and just, it was a way of outreach. Um, and it was kind of a, just a wild hair, like throwing it out there and everybody said, yes. (laughs) So there we go. We were off and running. (laughs) I love the title too, you know, lady justice, women of the court. I mean, Mm -hmm. I just think it's so cool. Um, tell, tell me about maybe that first episode, what you guys, wanted it to be, how it ended up being. I mean, kind of take us through that first, 
first episode? So we decided to start on and do it for Constitution Day, um, which is September 17th every year. And our main emphasis is to showcase state courts and um, really the to talk about the similarities and differences. And, and nobody pays attention to state constitutions, right? Everybody right. knows and studies the U.S. Constitution. Sure. So all of our constitutions are unique. Mm-hmm. And so we want to talk about them and the variety. And so we sort of, you know, planned it out. We don't script it, but we sort of just had four themes um, and areas. And then we took off talking and, um, you know, four women and we took off and uh, I think originally we were shooting for 30 minute episodes and it was like over an hour later, we were still talking. <laughs> so then we were like, oh no, what are we going to cut? Um, but we just had a great time. So yeah, and I don't know if that's your experience. Oh, for sure. For sure. <laughs> I mean, like ours tend to stay about 45 minutes, but, um, yeah, we, you kind of have to edit a lot of times too, because we'll go beyond that. I mean, when, when you get in a good conversation and I can imagine with you guys, there's four of you. So I'd right. love to hear about like, how, how is that dynamic? Four of you, um, very smart, very probably vocal women. I mean, how, how do you kind of wrap your heads around a, what the topic will be and then just how the, how the dynamic and the conversation is going to go? Well, Fortunately, we get along great and there is no, I think, you know, sometimes women get this, um, there's this misperception that we, women don't work well together or compete or, um, and I think it's just generally not true. I think women want to empower each other and we just said, we are going to take turns hosting and whoever the host is comes up with the topic. And there's been just no, you know, issues. And so whoever it is uh, that we do it monthly because our schedules are just, you know, really busy. Oh, yeah. That was going to be <laughs> yeah. do this. <laughs> it's very hard to even get us all, you know, to record at the same time. And so whoever it is just plans it out, um, host, kind of runs it for that episode and comes up with the topics and sort of the four kind of four or five questions that we talk about. And we just go along with whatever their plan is. And, um, and so it's just, you know, no kind of issues and, um, you know, we're all conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think we're, you know, similar in enough ways that, um, but different that, um, it's just been wonderful. That's, that's great. Tell, tell me what you would say maybe your favorite episode has been, um, in, in, and also maybe what you feel like your audience is wanting to hear from you guys. Well, so I think that probably one of my favorite episodes, and I'm, I don't know if I can tell you the number, which number it is, but I think it was um, an episode where we talked about our backgrounds and how we got to the positions that we're in. Oh, yeah. And we did not know our backgrounds before we recorded that episode. Mm. So um, we sort of knew each other um, just from our positions and really from social media and Twitter and from a few conferences, but none of us knew um, our backgrounds or anything. And it was fascinating. And we all learned that we were first generation lawyers, Mm -mm. which can be, you know, unusual at the Supreme Court. Unusual. My God. Yes. So we all went to law school. None of us knew lawyers or had lawyers in the family or related to attorneys. Um, the other really unique thing is none of us um, grew up um, or went to law school. I mean, grew up in the state that we're sitting on the Supreme Court in, which wow. is very okay. unusual um, because you always think of that sort of homegrown politics. Yep. And that you have to have, you know, those kind of political connections. Mm-hmm. Um, but all of us grew up in a different state. And that was very interesting. Um very- And all of us had these varied careers that were sort of not the typical of what you think, um, what is sort of 
assumed to be a career path to sort of going to the Supreme Court or to becoming a judge. And so I think that was the most interesting um, to me. That is very interesting. Well, because I was going to ask this, so this is a perfect time. I mean, I would love to get into your background Mm -hmm. and hear about um, your path, you know, to being a a state uh, justice. So um, I was non-typical law student. I went to law school, um, married with four children um, in elementary school. And um, you were in law school, you yes. <laughs> and um, I was I commuting. I that about you. Wow, yeah. is- so I was commuting back and forth from Conway and um, juggling, and I think that it just made me more disciplined, right? As a mom, um, you have to sort of discipline it, so it wasn't a matter of I'm not going to study today or not do my homework. Um, you know, it was sort of I had to do everything. Um, you know, and, and be organized because, you know, um, but also, you know, I just sat at the kitchen table and with my kids and we all did homework together. Um, so it helped them, I think, cause you know, mom was doing homework too. Yes. <laughs> um, um, and sometimes they came to law school with me, you know, if, if they had a, you know, in-service school day, um, and I didn't, then they had to come with me. Um, so, um, you know, I did that. I practiced law and then I ended up teaching law and being a, at the Bowen Law School. And I never thought I'd be a judge ever. And um, that was not my career path and um, that I'd really thought out. And then um, a judge became ill in Conway and um, Judge Collier, who was a beloved female judge in, in my district and had to resign and that was when Governor Huckabee was governor and um, someone from his staff actually reached out and said, um, we think he'd be a great, you know, judge. And a lot of what she did was juvenile court. And they said, I think you'd be a really great fit. Would you, you know, be interested in applying for the appointment? And I was, you know, at the law school as assistant dean. And um, so I went home, talked to my husband and and did and you know, I thought I would serve my two years as a point of judge and then go back, you know, to teaching or doing something else. And I loved it. So I ended up running for, you know, trial court and serving. And then um, I think the appellate court is a little more academic than the trial court. Um, yeah. And yeah. <laughs> um, it's more reading, writing, research um, than the the trial court, you don't have time to do that because you're in hearings all day. And so I sort of decided to make the run for court of appeals and then Supreme Court. So um, I think most people plan, you know, to sort of run. And I never did. Yeah, I think that's, that's really interesting. I mean, so because you didn't plan that, I mean, (laughs) and it, it kind of just started happening. I mean, what were what were your thoughts along the way of of heading up to you know a state a state a state court a state supreme court I mean that's that's huge yeah uh, yeah I jokingly say I'm sort of the accidental supreme court justice <laughs> um, you I know it. um, so I think I mean campaigning was very strange when I first ran um, yeah. and I when I first ran for the trial court I was in a three person race. And, um, you know, I had two male colleagues that ran against me and, um, I thought it would just be, you'd run on your merits. Um, and it would be just about your sort of academics and your experience. And it wasn't, um, and there was a lot of personality. Um, I talk about it. One of the podcasts is that I spoke at, I remember distinctly, I spoke at, you'll understand this as a mom and as a professional, I spoke at one event and I sort of listed out my, you know, I thought my criteria for serving. And um, at that point I was a judge and um, sort of listed everything out. And then the, the opponent got up and he said, well, I'd like to know who's been raising her children while she's accomplished these, this list. What? And I was just dumbfounded and I just never, you know, imagined that. And, um, 
you know, I'm just sitting there thinking, uh, well, who's raising your children, you know, right? I'm really kind of dumbfounded by that too. I mean, I I mean, we all know that people um, think that way, but to say it out loud and then- And that was in 2007. Um, So I think the world's changed since then. But, you know, initially um, it was hard. Um, It was, you know, very, that those sorts of things occurred. Um, How did you work through that? I mean, in those moments like that, I mean, You're, you're just, you're really just taken aback. Um, you know, and I, you know, I think, and I, I think I'm, you know, I have a mom who, I have a daughter who's a stay at home mom who homeschools and she works just as hard. And, um, so I I think it's all about mom's choosing. Um, and, um, so my granddaughter, you know, is getting a great role model on that, but I just felt like my kids were also, my children were getting a great role model and seeing me, you know, go for my dreams and wanting to serve. Um, And so that was sort of how I handled it. And and also, you know, some of my children were at that event. And so it was a great go home and talk about moment, right? you know, so, um, and, and talk about how blessed I am to have, you know, sort of a husband that supported me. Um, cause I think, I think a lot of women don't have that. So. Absolutely. Um, well, so let's, let's talk about your position, um, on the Arkansas Supreme court. What kind of time commitment is it? And, and do you feel like you have to spend a lot of time, um, thinking through issues and, and such, outside of just your office hours and court hours and things like that? So, yes, you don't really shut it off. Uh, Mm. So, and I think that's true probably of all judges that, you know, you do take it home with you. It becomes, you have to sort of learn the skill to try to, you know, um, you know, have your personal life. Um, But definitely on the appellate court and the Supreme Court, the issues are so heavy and um, that, and I know you have friends that, you know, work, um, you know, in this area, but it's very hard to know that the decisions we're making, um, you know, impact all of Arkansas and whether that's, it's a financial decision about, you know, the I-30, you know, (laughs) bridge, um, or it's an execution matter, you know, or anything that, the impact is just enormous and it's not something that we take lightly and it's not something that, you know, if the case is in front of us, there isn't an easy answer. It's not. And I think that sometimes the public, you know, hears sort of the overview and thinks, well, the decision should be obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it was obvious, it wouldn't be in front of the Arkansas Supreme court. And so it's not as if we can just quickly look and find the answer. Um, It takes, you know, um, sometimes weeks and weeks of research and just countless hours. Um, Sometimes, you know, it's, you know, 8,000 pages that come up in front of us that we have to try to read through. So, um, and just to make sure we get it right. Um, it's very hard. Um, and definitely, you know, even though you put it down, you wake up in the middle of the night, still thinking about it. So with the other lady justice, uh, members on the podcast, have you guys talked about, you know, that part of the job and, um, I mean, the, the pressure and the burden that you have and, and then the stress that comes with that. Have y'all talked about that as a group in, as a, on the podcast too? We did. We did a um, episode on well-being uh-huh. um, and really, you know, help, hopefully talking about it to try to be role models for um, um, others in the profession. And even if you're not in the legal profession to say, hey, listen, um, you know, even we have well-being issues and have to pay attention to our own well-being and try to find that balance in life and that, you know, it may look easy, but our life's hard. Um, and to say we get it and life was hard when we were attorneys and practicing attorneys and life was as hard as moms. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so to try to, you know, try to be role models in that. Um, so we did talk about it. I'll say that one of the benefits of the podcast is really just 
relying on each other and sort of um, being able to talk about those issues with each other. Um, yeah, because you guys have unique. I mean, you have unique issues as as uh, mm-hmm. state supreme court justice. I mean, there's not a lot of you, so no. And, and we talk, you know, we joke a lot about our husbands and um, you know the questions that our husbands don't get asked. Um, yeah. You know, um, we did get we did get to go to a couple of us went together, got together for a conference this summer, and um, our husbands were there, and our husbands sort of had this little bonding moment about their issues, <laughs> what it's like to be married to us. Um, and we joked about they should have, we should let them have a podcast episode about what it's like to be married to us. Yes. Because I think life's not easy for them either. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. I mean, definitely. That would, that is a, I would definitely check that episode. Okay. <laughs> that sounds very interesting. <laughs> so tell me this. I mean, what, what do you think people, um, um, want to know uh, more about from you guys and, 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 and the types of, you know, feedback you've gotten on the podcast, what do you feel is important for them to know about what you guys do and do for our, for each of those states too? So I think we've had a lot of feedback. Um, we are not trying to be a women only focused podcast, but we've had a lot of feedback from young women Um who have really reached out and want us to talk about more of those issues. Um, And so we will. Um, We also have a lot of feedback from people that did not realize the administrative role that we have at the Supreme Court. Um, So for instance, they didn't realize that, you know, when COVID hit and the governor, you know, sort of made his decisions about opening and closing different businesses that our Supreme Courts were making decisions about the trial courts and the, you know, district courts or your city courts that we were sort of having to make those decisions. Um, And that, you know, we were responsible for, you know, figuring out financially how to obtain, you know, protective um, PPE and thermometers for all the courts in Arkansas, um, you know, and how to, you know, get Zoom in Arkansas and how to, you know, create protocols for virtual hearings and hybrid hearings. And um, there's a lot of administrative responsibility. And I think that people didn't realize that. And so we've had a lot of um, questions about that and about, you know, attorney, you know, our responsibility for attorney licensure, licensure. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people are interested in, um, you know, some people had great, you know, relationships with attorneys, but there's been problems yeah. um, with, sure. and, and then people that can't afford attorneys. So they're wanting us to talk about sort of what Supreme courts are doing to assist with access to courts. So we'll probably talk some more about that as well coming up this year. We'll be right back with more from our Empowering Women Spotlight. I'm excited to share that Little Rock's first co-working community and social club for women by women is launching very soon. The Nest is one part lounge and one part launch pad. It's the perfect perch for work and play, a place where work and life come together. I, along with my co-founder and friend, Erin Hohenbaum, believe in the power of women, and we wanted to create an environment that fosters big thinking, big ideas, and even bigger execution in a beautifully designed space. Located in Little Rock's thriving Soma District, The Nest is the place for women to connect with other like-minded women in the community with the goal of learning from a diverse group of women in age, race, phases of life, and interests. We're also committed to providing powerful programming and exciting events to help women in our community learn, grow, and step into their most powerful selves. You've always had the power to boldly create a life and career you love, and The Nest is here to support you on that journey. Visit us at thenestlr.com to learn more about membership options, including individual and corporate membership opportunities. You can also subscribe to The Perch, our e-newsletter, to stay up to date on all of the latest news and happenings at The Nest. That's thenestlr.com. Now back to our Empowering Women Spotlight on the Gadotti Podcast. Definitely sounds like there are misperceptions about what you guys, the the totality of, of your job and what you do. 
Yes. So I think everybody just thinks of what we do is in regards to hearing and deciding cases. Right. And they don't understand that um, and realize that we were saying that probably 60% of what we do is administer the courts in our states. And that's actually more of our time. And um, so we definitely are going to spend more time talking about that role. Mm -hmm. Uh, But really, we, you know, part of the podcast is we just want to also just, I've said before, empower women, um, empower moms, um, but also... um, let people know that judges, you know, aren't stodgy and, you know, that we're approachable and we're trying to change the image and your perception of, you know, what you think a Supreme Court justice is. Um, what do you want that image to be? I mean, how, how do you guys want to, to change people's minds about that? I think what we want, First of all, is for everyone to see that anyone could be on the Supreme Court and that it's attainable because none of us thought it was attainable. And we talked about that, that there were no role models, specifically no female role models when we were coming out of law school. So we want that to be that it's attainable. And we want it to be that um, people understand that we're like them. We're normal, everyday people. Um, we're not perfect. Um, and that, but that we do our best to get it right every single time. We take it seriously. And we also want people to realize that it's not political. Mm. That the decisions and the cases may be political, but our decisions are not. Um, and that, you know, we have to, all of us run for election, so we have to work in that political environment, but we do not, you know, it doesn't matter what Rhonda Wood or Beth Walker or Bridget McCormick thinks of an issue. That's not how we make a decision on cases. And, um, so we want the public to understand that, um, and, and see that, that, um, that that has no part in our decision-making. So let's, let's talk about that. I mean, I, I think one thing that people probably, you know, have a lot of interest in or, or, or maybe have a, a mm-hmm. perception about is, is truly how you guys um, make your decisions on these issues. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that they think you're, you might be coming from a bias view right. or, or things like that. Right. So how do you, how do you talk about that with just an average person who doesn't have a lot of legal background right. and, and, and that type of thing? Yeah. And I think, I mean, we've, and we've talked about it a little bit and we'll probably talk about it more, but um, you know, and I've said um, on there that I have written decisions um, specifically for a lot of times you hear about ballot issues. Yeah, um, I've written the majority opinion for an issue um, to stay on the ballot that I've gone in and voted against on the ballot. <laughs> you know, um, and because it, it's yeah. you know Justice Wood is different than Rhonda Wood. Um, and it's just about the law. So if they legally qualify to get on the ballot, then I write the opinion saying it qualifies to get on the ballot. And then if I, I go in there and vote, however, Rhonda Wood wants to vote. If they, you know, there are times where I've had to vote, it doesn't get on the ballot when I would have loved to have voted for it. Mm Um, and, um, and there's times where, um, I've talked about one case that, um, it was a case that involved affected the medical community and I voted a certain way. And within 30 minutes, um, um, my husband, who's a doctor got an email that blasted the decision. (laughs) Um, and it went out to all the doctors in the state, (laughs) you know, and, um, he sent me a text and he's like, what just happened at the Arkansas Supreme court? (laughs) He doesn't even know. He's no, like, because I never, I don't talk, right you know, now. I can't. And, uh, and I was like, yeah, it wasn't a good day for doctors at the Supreme Court today. <laughs> you know? um, and I was like, sorry, hubby, you know. Yeah, exactly. We laugh about it, but it's like, you know, that has no part. That has no role. And yeah. it's whatever the law was. Uh, we apply the law and it makes, you know, no difference. Um, and the same thing too. I mean, and that's why, 
you know, it matters who you choose to serve on the Supreme Court because, um, you know, it doesn't matter if you it's hard decisions. The, you know, the hardest decision I'll say is to, if you think someone is guilty of a crime, that you send it back and they get a new trial, right? Because it doesn't matter if Rhonda Wood thinks they're guilty. What matters is that they, the Constitution wasn't fairly applied to their case. And if your constitutional rights are violated, you get a new trial. And it doesn't matter if I'm reading through the transcript and think they're probably guilty, you know? It doesn't stand if, you know, everybody gets the guarantees in the Constitution. And it's the hardest thing in the world, you know, to write those opinions. I was going to ask. You know about the victims, right? You've read the victim's testimony. You feel sympathy to them and the families that have to go through it again. Um, But it's not about that. It's about, you know, if it was, you know, someone you knew, they get their constitutional rights to a fair trial. That's what the system's about. Absolutely. How, how do you, um, like you said, that is very hard. It's terrible. Yeah. So it's hard to just wrestle with that every day. I mean, um, it's hard, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, it's really hard. Um, you know, and, um, those are really hard decisions. Um, you know, and you, like I said, you've, your heart just, you know, you have to be sort of, you know, separated out and follow the law, but it doesn't mean that we don't have, you know, sympathy for everyone involved um, when we make those decisions. Um, you know, we feel for all the parties, but we have to follow the law. And um, so I would think it's hard. Yeah. And so I would think too, that you've got to do like running or meditation or <laughs> cooking or I don't know anything to kind of help you um pull yourself apart from that for a while like me, your mental health right your your well-being you you talked about that episode that you guys do did um how do you what's your personal take on that what do you do to get your mind off this stuff I do a little bit of everything. So um, I do a lot of reading. Um, I used to run um, and then I got older <laughs> and uh, my knees and back and everything don't, don't hold up. Um, but I bike. Um, but I have to do things in, um, oh, during COVID, I became a master gardener. Um, nice. Um, but, you know, I'll do things like cook, um, make pasta. I'll do puzzles because you have to, like, focus so, um, um, you know, closely that you can't think of anything else. Yeah. Um, but, you know, anything that is sort of, you know, you have to be so deliberate and focused on that then you take it away. Um you know, but it's, it's very hard to sort of do that. Um, but you have to find something, um, you know, but and, and my family is great. And so they, they also understand that if it's a rough time, you know, at the court, they sort of, you know, surround me and, and build me up <laughs> when they, they know that it's, you know, a particularly rough time. And, and yet they know I can't talk about it um, at the same time. Right, right. So are your um, family and friends, um, you know, pretty respectful? I'm, I'm assuming they're very respectful of, the, of that piece of your job that, you know, you can't talk about. Yeah, they don't ever try. No one ever tries to, you know, cross that line. Um, but, you know, they know, I mean, they read the newspapers and they know when it's a tough case um, and that sort of thing. And um, I think the other thing is that, um, you know, our court, even though we take a recess, like all appellate courts, you know, in the summer or whatnot, um, cases and emergencies come up at any point in time. And so um, it seems to be like an emergency always comes up whenever I try to go on vacation. (laughs) um, So, um, you know, that's the other thing is your family has to be understanding that you're on call. And so if there's an emergency um, in somebody's life, the Supreme Court has to be available. And um, it always seems my husband jokes that we just have to be on a cruise ship in the middle of the ocean for and there will be an emergency in Arkansas. <laughs> um, but um, so that's the other thing is they just have to understand that, um, you know, that 
if that happens, you know, we sort of have to stop and, you know, have to spend a day or two dealing with that emergency. Um, And so it's great. Families, you know, has to be very understanding of the job. Of course. When, when you talk to the, um, your fellow, uh, podcast hosts, um, tell us about, uh, maybe how the courts have changed um, and, and even in their states too and in our state in Arkansas throughout the pandemic and, and what things that you think will stay and last um, because of the pandemic, but, but ended up being something that, you know, we're, we're all dealing with that in our businesses right now, things that pivoted or happened during COVID that will, it'll probably go well past COVID. I think uh, doing some sort of hybrid court will stay. Um, And we're actually, that's one of the things the Supreme Court sort of has to work on is changing some of the rules to make it more permanent um, to um, allow for that. Um, That, um, you know, all the rules of procedure are by the court. And so we have to actually change some of the rules. Um, uh, One interesting thing. So um, I chair the Commission on Children, Youth and Families. And we actually were starting a pilot project right when COVID hit. So we had just brought Zoom into Arkansas courts. And I think this is one of the most critical um, benefits. But think about foster care children in Arkansas. So they are removed from homes. And um, but usually majority are not placed in their home county. And so when there's those review hearings, someone from Conway, a child may be placed in Jonesboro or someone from Fayetteville may be placed in Hot Springs. Those children are getting, we're always being pulled out of school to travel um, with a stranger, you know, a caseworker, somebody that they didn't know all the way and missing a whole day of school to go to that review hearing and then sitting, you know, in the court waiting room and that sort of tense environment. And so we were actually in the midst of that pilot when this happened and courts were real reluctant about, could we let them appear virtually by Zoom? Well, then COVID happened. Then everybody got, you know, <laughs> we had to do this. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. So what happened, what was a two or three court pilot program became statewide. But now think about it. Those children um, are just now in school and they can just get pulled out. The Department of Education has worked with us they just get pulled out of the classroom and go in and zoom for that little bitty hearing and go right back to class. That's awesome. And so, um, all that for those kids, all that time they were spent in the car. And like I said, those are with really strangers in a car. Um, you know, of course it's tax dollars being spent to transport them, but just the anxiety of, you know, knowing you're going to a court hearing and sitting in the car and then sitting in the waiting room and often with the parents that abused them or in the waiting room, just that is a permanent, I think, transition that's going to happen um, because of COVID that courts are the slowest to change. (laughs) We are just very slow to change, but COVID sort of, and we've all talked about this on our podcast in all of our states, COVID sort of forced us to quickly jump, you know, sort of 20 years. (laughs) Um, And so that's just one example that I think will stay. Um, And the same thing true for parents and foster parents, You know, a detriment to being a foster parent was they couldn't afford to take off work to be at those hearings. But now they could just step out and kind of jump on their phone and appear virtually and then, you know, take take it as their lunch hour or break. That is huge for those parents. I totally agree. Yes. So those are just little examples of ways that I think are going to forever change our, you know, our court system if we, you know, have it where you can continue having those sort of hybrid courts that um, it's going to help, you know, just in the juvenile court context. And that I think will play out, you know, across all the spectrums of courts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I was kind of wondering too, um, you know, when you talk uh, to the other lady justices, I mean, are there things that those courts in different states are doing um, differently than Arkansas, or y'all, or, or do those st- uh, state supreme courts are they pretty simu- similar? You know, I just I'm curious to know if 
if the things when the things you guys talk about on the podcast, are there lots of differences between the state courts or not? So there are differences. Uh, one of the things I think is really interesting is West. So West Virginia is a small state like Arkansas. Yeah. They actually never had a court of appeals. Oh. Um, the legislature just approved one. And so it's just starting. Yeah. So they never, they didn't have an intermediate court of appeals, but because of COVID um, they think that their court of appeals, their Supreme court is going to have their court of appeals predominantly be virtual. And um, so their court of appeals will um, hold court virtually. Um, so like our court of appeals and I served on it, there's 12 judges and you sit in panels of three. Mm -hmm. So their court will be similar. I forget how many they have, but sit in panels, but they will appear virtually in different cities. So the attorneys don't have to travel to sort their capital to appear in court um, for oral argument. And so they think that it'll have more access to court and that they can have more um, sort of direct impact in the community. Yeah. And so I was kind of going to watch that. And then um, I um, alerted our court of appeals, our chief to say, Hey, we may want to, you guys may want to check out what, you know, West Virginia is going to try to do. It's going to be the first in the country and, you know, look at that. Um, so we definitely sort of, you know, get ideas and learn from each other and then, you know, bring it back to our courts to say, you know, hey, maybe we should look at that um, and how we function. So um, we've talked a lot about how we make decisions yeah. and how we sort of assign cases and we do that differently. Um, That's what I wondered too. Yes. And so we've talked about that. Um, we in Arkansas are cases. So who writes who's writes the majority opinion. Um, it's computer random assignment in Arkansas. Okay. Um, and, um, I believe in Michigan, um, it's, um, the chief justice, I think assigns it. Um, but also they can swap cases. <laughs> so if, you know, there's a majority, weird. <laughs> yeah. So if it's, let's say it's a um, health law case and one justice has a background in health law, then they could say, Hey, I want to write that opinion. And they would swap. Um, when Arkansas, you like, that's an absolute, like never happens. You can't swap. It's whatever the computer as random assignment is. Yeah that's who writes the case. And so we have lots of those discussions about like, how does that work, you know, and um, that sort of thing. So um, it's just really interesting. Um, um, so we have lots of those conversations about the inner workings of the court. Um, and, you know, it be like, how do you guys do that? Or how do you do this? <laughs> Well, so going back, those are great examples. Going back to that first one on the um, the virtual court of appeals, do you think that's a good idea or a, or a bad idea or in between? <laughs> as far as being, because um, that's a big that's a big difference of having an in person court where the lawyers come there versus virtual that the court kind of goes to the attorneys. It's interesting. So we, we have been virtual during COVID. Um, we've done everything. Both courts um, have done it by Zoom, have had court during COVID, and it's worked fine. Um, it's not been my preference. Um, I think that I still, there's something more, feels more collegial about um, appearing in person. Yeah. I think um, for the Court of Appeals, it. Court of Appeals handles a lot of family law and juvenile cases. Okay. And those attorneys tend to be more distributed statewide. Mm -hmm. So it it wouldn't it does make sense that those attorneys um, have to travel further. For us, a lot of the cases we get are um, this one of the attorneys is usually the, from the attorney general's office. 
Um, we get more localized Little Rock, I hate to say attorneys or attorneys that um, it's more state issues yeah. um, or one of the parties or we don't get as many um, sort of smaller town um, attorneys. Right. Um, we get um, from Batesville, Jonesboro, Northwest Arkansas, Texarkana, um, but it's not as much of an issue. But the Court of Appeals, it really is very they get a lot of cases from um, smaller solo practitioners where the burden and the expense is a lot to travel to oral argument. That makes sense. So I can definitely see why that would be, um, you know, ease that burden on their clients, the financial burden. Sure. Um, I don't know that we would have that same financial burden at our court, but it, it might be worth something um, for us to ask. We've talked about asking our the attorneys, um, is it a financial burden, you know, yeah. to come to Little Rock and appear in court um, and see what they say? Yeah. But it was one of those things that I'm just really interested to see how it works in West Virginia. Yeah. Oh, gosh. That, there'll be a good, a good model for folks. Our court has always traveled once, uh, once in the fall and once in the spring and held court in different parts of the state. So um, we have done that. Um and um, so we tried to sort of move around um, at least once, um, but I, our court of appeals is not. So um, it'll be interesting to see. Definitely. So after the success of the first season of the podcast, what kind of plans, um, ideas do you guys have, you know, to continue to grow season two? Well, so we're starting back. We took the summer off um, a couple. We took um, July and August off. Mm -hmm. And um, so we start back on Constitution Day again. (laughs) So um, September 17th, um, we're going to do another round of comparing our state constitutions and uh, celebrate that again and the differences between them. Interesting. You might find it interesting. We're going to talk about um, redistricting. Oh, uh, we're going to talk about um, what our different constitutions, what the rule, what the parameters are for um, who sits, and who makes the decisions and the legal process um, for objecting to that um, in our various state constitutions, because redistricting, of course, is a big um, issue nationally right now. Um, but it's different state by state um, right. as to who makes that decision. So that's going to be one of the topics. Oh, that'll be good. And um, and then um, in October, we will actually all be live for the first time. We're going to do a live podcast in West Virginia um, oh. for oh. one of the local colleges there with college students. So um, how cool is that? Yeah. Yes. So we're hoping that COVID doesn't prevent that. Oh. But right now it's a live event mm-hmm. in um, Charleston, West Virginia. How fun. That's great. Okay, well, as we wrap up, um, I I want to just know from you what you would, because you guys do have such an amazing focus of being all women, you mm-hmm. know, that women empowerment is a, is a huge theme um, for the podcast, but you guys personally. So what would you say to those younger women who um, may think, how could I ever be, you know, how could I ever be a, a state Supreme Court justice or a, a, a federal, you know, Supreme <laughs> Court justice? What, 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 would you, what words of wisdom would you give them? Well, and I think you're like sort of an example of this as well, but I think the biggest holdback is always yourself, mm. right? So the, the, the biggest um, barrier to accomplishing anything in life is yourself. So um, once you make the decision that you're going to do it, then you're sort of halfway there. And then it's just a matter of reaching out and I think asking other people that have been there before you to help you. So um, I find women are genuinely willing and want to help bring up the next generation of women. And so most of us are just there and we are willing to help you. So it's obtainable. Um, you just have to, you know, reach out and who, whatever your role model is. So if you want to be the woman leader in construction or law or um, media, 
-hmm. you know, find that person and say, you know, what can you do to help me? What guidance can you give? Find a mentor, but make the decision. So if you want to run for the Supreme Court, you know, run for the Supreme Court. Um, And so um, you just do it and get out there and make the decision. And, you know, you never get there unless you take that first step. So, you know, take the first step. It's absolutely, you know, if, if I can do it, then it's absolutely um, possible. Well, you you are such a role model. And I think particularly, you know, you're a mom or you have the one grandbaby or. No, we have multiple now. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say how many because uh, of how old I am. I've got lots of them. Check me out on Facebook. They're all over Facebook. Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, it's amazing. And and I, I think what a role model to say too, that not just a, a, a woman being in that um, position that you're in, but a mom too. Yeah. Um, and so to say, hey, working moms, you can do this, you know? Yes. And it, it's not easy though. I mean, yeah. and oh. that's the other thing is, I, you know, I, I never want to pretend that it's easy because yeah. I think that's the wrong message. So it's hard. And there were times that I had to sort of step back and there were times that, you know, I had to sort of put them first for a period of time and that's okay. Right. Um, but you absolutely, you know, you can do it. Um, so, and, and, and still be there for your family. Yeah. Absolutely. And in the mentorship part, um, I 110% agree with you. I think that's the message I like to share too with younger women is, is find somebody that can be a good mentor to you and right. just help, help, um, help you understand the challenges and the opportunities that are going to come your way. Right. Yes. And then those of us, you know, that are at this sort of stage, we have a duty to be that mentor. Yeah. And we have a duty to sort of reach out. And I think that's what I love about my colleagues um, is that we all feel that. Um, And so, um, but we, you know, we have the reason you have the podcast. That's right. That's right. That's one of the reasons we have the podcast. Um, But, you know, also we, you know, we didn't always, we didn't have great mentors. Um, They just weren't there. And so um, we want everybody to have it a little bit better than we did. Right. Love that. Well, thank you again for being on. And thank you for having me. Oh, yeah. It's great to see you. For season two. Thank you. And and with you. And also I saw about the nest and that's fantastic. Yes. Thank you so much. We're, I mean, that's, you know, talking about the mentorship. I mean, that's, that's part of it. Like I just feel, uh, um, I I think you're exactly right. We, we, those of us in positions like we're in, we, we do have a duty to help, um, younger women and help them find their place and, and, all the things so that's right yeah you're doing a great job with that thank you thanks for listening to the Gadotti podcast new six-part series empowering women spotlight to check out more from our guest conversations with the empowering women spotlight series and to subscribe to future episodes of the Gadotti podcast go to gadotti.com slash podcast That's G-H-I-D-O-T-T-I dot com slash podcast. If you enjoyed the conversation, please consider leaving a quick review on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to great podcasts. We always love hearing from you. The podcast is produced by the team here at Gadotti. I'm your host, Natalie Gadotti. Thanks for listening. Now go out and do something awesome. Awesome.